sermon title today, You, a Target. You, a Target. I want to start with a story that is maybe too familiar, happens too often in our lives. A person, by all standards that you could see, looks and feels and is very healthy. Maybe they don't exercise as much as they should. Maybe they eat too many sweets, but those are just small things, right? They love to be outside working, playing, doing that honey-do list like any good husband should. But then one day, when they're outside working, suddenly they feel dizzy and faint. They collapse on the ground, and within minutes, they're dead. A silent killer struck again. Anybody know what the silent killer is? High blood pressure. High blood pressure. According to the FDA, one in three Americans has high blood pressure. So let's sort of push that down. Let's imagine that there's about 150 people in here, just for the sake of argument. That means that 50 of you have high blood pressure. 50. Okay? But here's the problem. Only 25 of those 50 people know it. And so those 25 people walk around with a target on their back, waiting to become one of the 360,000 people who died because of this. And it could have been treated, but they could still be alive today. Something like that should and something like that does terrify us to think that there should be, could be something on our backs that is out to get us, that could literally take our life. But what if, what if there's something like that in our lives of faith? What if there's something like that that we walk around with on our back that we don't even know or recognize or even talk about? But what if, too, it's not just a target that could take our life here on earth, but could be something that could lead us into eternal separation, eternal suffering even. Today we're going to see how we do have a target like that. We're going to look at what that means for us, but we're going to talk about in the context of the fourth chapter of this book, I'm a church member. Because in this chapter, Rainer argues, he urges us to pray for church leaders. And we're going to see why that is so important. Why it could be easy for us to go through the chapter and say, well, I get that, we should pray. We're going to see how it's much, much more than that. In the reading we heard from Luke chapter 21, Jesus makes what you said, or what Pastor Ben said, was an uncomfortable promise, right? It's one of these readings that we hear, and then when he says, this is the gospel of the Lord, you should say, I don't know, Pastor. That doesn't sound very good news to me. Because here's what's happening. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's forewarning them of what's going to happen, what's going to come in the future. And he tells them, look, there's going to be war, there's going to be famine, there's going to be pestilences, there's going to be great signs in heaven. But then he turns his eyes to those people who follow him, to his disciples, to you, and to me. And notice what Jesus says here. It's important you recognize this. He he doesn't say this might happen. He doesn't say these are some things that could happen. No, Jesus uses the word will. He says this will happen. 
And what does he promise them? What does he promise us that will happen? He says that those people who follow him will be put in jail. They will be persecuted. Family members will turn over other family members and they will be killed. Jesus makes an uncomfortable promise. But why does he say all of this is going to happen? What's the reason that these people are out to get these people of Jesus? Why? On account of his name. On account of Jesus' name. Now for those of you that have been baptized, for those of you that wear the robe of Christ's righteousness, just like that fear you felt maybe a few minutes ago, you should fear that fear in your bones now. Because as we hear this, what happens to these followers of Jesus on account of his name should open our eyes and see that we, we are in that number. Because what happened in your baptism? The pastor did one of these over you. He said, Dan, receive the sign of the cross. Jeff, receive the sign of the cross, both upon your forehead and upon your heart, to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. To mark you. In that moment, you bear now the name of Jesus. And so you bear the very thing that Jesus promises is the reason why people are going to persecute you while they are going to someday seek to harm you. But it's not just the world. Jesus promises you that the evil one, Satan himself now, is out to get you. But the problem is much like high blood pressure. Many of us, just like this family in this picture, walk around unaware. Walk around pretending maybe even that we don't have a target on our back like this. So I think there's two camps we fall into whenever we start talking about Satan or the evil one. There are some of us who like to think that Satan is and does everything, right? That, well, the way I tripped over my door was Satan. The way that the driver pulled in front of me, he was Satan. Or that candy bar that sits on the counter, that's Satan. I don't think that's where many of us are, though. I think many of us are on the other side of that. Where we don't think... We don't talk about, we don't even realize that Satan is real. That there really is someone who is out to seek, to kill, and to destroy, to pull us away from Christ and the promises he's given us. And so if that is real, if Satan is real, and if he is out to do those things, and if you and I do have this target on our back, What are we supposed to do? How should we respond? What are the things that we can do to resist him? To that, to the answer to that, we turn to this Ephesians reading of the armor of God. We've heard this likely many times in our lives of faith. We hear about, we know the general image that Paul is trying to paint, but I want to look at it in a little different lens in light of talking about what we're talking about today. Because oftentimes, we don't get the proper image of what Paul is really putting forth 
here. We don't get the right image of the warrior that Paul is displaying for us. Because the thing he calls people to do is not what we might think. It's not what we might expect if we're supposed to stand up against this great evil person, Satan himself. So Paul says to the people there that the purpose of this whole armor is one thing. It is to stand up against the schemes of the devil. In the original language here, it literally means to just stand up. To stand up against the schemes of the devil. But what he doesn't say, what he doesn't even put before them, is any offensive armor, any offensive battle language at all. Notice the things that the armor that this warrior wears, right? He wears a belt, breastplate, a helmet, a shield. Where are all the offensive things? This, this warrior is not meant to go fight. This warrior isn't meant to go take ground, isn't meant to reclaim anything. No, this warrior is meant to stand and to resist. It's defensive language. You could argue with me and say, Pastor, he does say the sword, right? Isn't that a pretty offensive thing? Yes, but then he immediately says, that's the word of God. And so what does Paul say to do for this defensive soldier meant to stand up against the schemes of the devil? What's the one promise that Paul makes that will work to do this work to accomplish standing against Satan himself? Prayer. Prayer. Paul makes it very clear that it is by prayer that we resist, that we stand up to the schemes of Satan himself. But too often, that's not the kind of power we ascribe to prayer. I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation, how many times someone has told me in a conversation that goes something along these lines. Talking to someone who can no longer serve, can no longer do the things that they used to do. Whether it's physical limitations, whether it's time, whatever it is. Now they can't serve in the way they used to. And so in talking about that, trying to get them to see that God has a plan for them, has a purpose for them, that they are still a part of the body of Christ, oftentimes I will tell them, well, now you can pray. Now you can pray. And without fail, they always look at me, kind of defeated look on their face, head tilt even. They say, well, I know, Pastor, but that's all I can do. That's it. When they say that to me, I want to get up. I want to jump around and say, that's it? That's it. Imagine the fact that you get to go to the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who is reigning and ruling over all creation, the one who has defeated sin, death, and the devil, and now holds all things in the palm of his hand. And you, you get to ask him to do something. You get to ask him to be involved in your family, in your community, in your church's life. You get to ask of him to do what only he can. Imagine that you get to do what Paul says, that you get to pray on behalf of others, that they might withstand the schemes of Satan, and that it would actually do it. That's it. No. More like, that's all you need. That's all you need. And that is why 
That is why this chapter is so important for us. That is why we cannot just skim over and say, I get it, we need to pray. No. Because we see that all of us walk around with targets on our back from the evil one, but God has equipped us. God has given you what you need. Because as you pray, as you pray, as you pray to Jesus, you go to the one who already has put his foot on the head of the serpent. You go to the one who has already defeated Satan himself and one day who will come back to put him away forever. But until that day, you and I need to. We must pray for our families. We must pray for our church. Yes, for our pastors, for our elders, for our boards and our committees so that they may resist and stand up to the schemes of Satan. That they may be delivered from all evil. That they may be found faithful on the day that Jesus returns. We have to. We must pray. Pray and pray. We all know, we've all heard those stories of pastors, of church leaders that have fallen. But what we don't often think about, that we don't often imagine or think too much about, is what happens because of that. We don't often think about the ripple effects, if you will. Sure, we might be sad for that person and their family, but we don't think too often about the amount of people that Satan is able to pull away from Jesus because of that. Because the bigger the leader, the bigger the fall, and the more people that Satan is able to pull away from Jesus. But what if, what if some of those in the past, and what if some of those falls in the future could be stopped by our prayers? What if just like that person who has high blood pressure could treat it with either medication, good diet, good exercise? What if we too could help one another stand up against the schemes of the devil by our prayers? God's word promises that that is what will happen if we just take the time to pray. And so Rainer in this book urges us to pray for five minutes a day. I recognize that that might be a lot for you. And so I want to challenge you to pray one minute. One minute a day for your church. One minute a day for your church leaders. And so, to help us model that, we're going to do it. So I'm going to pull out my phone. This is how easy it is. Pull out your phone, get open your timer app, and you set a minute timer. We're going to pray for our church for one minute. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are king of the universe. You reign and rule over all things. You have defeated sin and death and the devil. But Satan still roams to seek, to kill, and destroy. And so we pray that you would not only open our eyes, but that you would give us the faith we need to come to you, to pray on behalf of those people, all people who have that target on their back, Protect them, Jesus, in the way that only you can. Surround them with your angels in the way that only you can too. And use us, Lord, to be your hands and your feet. We pray, Jesus, that you would protect all those who serve here in this place. 
that you would protect the pastors, the elders, the boards and committees from the attacks of the evil one. That, Lord, as they lead, that they would lead with your guiding, that they would not be distracted by the things of this world, but that they would cling to you, Jesus, and to your word alone. And so, Jesus, as we come to you, we know that you hear us. We know that you answer us. And so we pray, Jesus, in your perfect, your holy name. Amen. One minute. Do you think you can do that? Because people, people are counting on you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.